surgeons keep our hearts beating. They do the amazing, help save lives, and so can you. Your CSL Plasma donation can help create 24 critical life-saving medicines that can give Grandpa the chance for his heart to swell when he meets his new grandson or give a bride the chance for her heart to skip a beat on her wedding day. Every plasma donation helps more than you know. Do the amazing. Help save lives. Donate today at your local CSL Plasma Center and be rewarded for your generosity. Hello, welcome to Let's Talk About It with Taylor Nolan. This episode is a very different, very special episode as this was recorded live at the Fireside Conference um, in Canada at Camp Walden. And I interviewed a guest, Michael Landsberg, who has a charity called Sick Not Week and is also a sports broadcaster in Canada. Um, So I really hope you guys enjoyed this recording as I was quite nervous actually to uh, record this in front of, uh, you know, a whole crowd of people at camp. Um, But the fireside experience was just overall so amazing. Um, And so we'll definitely talk a little bit more about this conference and the the things that happened there um, in a later episode. But this was the live podcast that we recorded. Um, So enjoy. Well, this will be probably one of my most informal, but probably most wonderful uh, episodes of Let's Talk About It. Um, For those of you that don't know me, uh, I'm a licensed therapist in Seattle. um, And so this podcast focuses around mental health and uh, breaking through some of these topics that often feel really uncomfortable. Um, And so I'm super happy to have you here, Michael, to share a little bit of your story and a little bit of your expertise. You shared a lot last night um, about kind of how your mental health and, and your struggles have kind of developed. Um, so thank you for coming to talk with me a little bit more about it today. Well, I always search yeah. for places to talk. So thank yeah. you for giving me mm-hmm. a platform to talk. Yeah. And now I'm feeling a lot of pressure, by the way, because you said this is going to be one of my best podcasts. <laughs> so I'm thinking, okay, you got to give the A material. So I'm ready to go, Taylor. <laughs> well, and you know why I say I think it'll be one of my favorite is because one of the things that we, we spoke briefly on the phone before meeting and uh, talking about, you know, a little bit about each other. And one of the things you said was that you're a professional share. Yes. And to me that, that, that shows a lot of authenticity and a lot of vulnerability. And that's always where like the magic happens. That's where we feel connected. And that's where I always feel like the most satisfied and connected to people. The more you expose of yourself mm-hmm. in, in doing what you and I are doing, mm-hmm. um, the more people embrace you and the more they mm-hmm. realize that you understand them. So mm-hmm. it's funny how, especially men, you know, feel that yeah. vulnerability is a weakness. Mm-hmm. But uh, I mean, uh, yeah. like last night, there's 400 people there and yeah. I'm speaking to them. So I'm number 401 mm-hmm. and I'm speaking. And the more I share of myself, the more, the stronger they think I am, yeah. which is bizarre because that's the opposite of what we think. Men think, and, and women to some extent yeah. too, think that by sharing their struggles, they are showing weakness. But mm-hmm. the truth is nobody you know, who was listening to me speak thought, well, that guy's weak. Yeah. It's the opposite. Yeah. And, and I want to point out too, we're sitting in front of you know, all men here. Um, can you guys like, do a raise of hands if you've ever like, shared something with someone or experienced a feeling and felt like, oh, I, I'm being weak as shit right now. Like, this is not okay. I need to like, toughen the fuck up. Yeah, all of you. You just opened up a whole number of possibilities for me when you said shit and fuck. Because so now. Yeah, no, that's allowed. That's allowed. It's it's, it's, (laughs) called Let's Talk About It. So we're going to talk about all the words. It's on. Oh, sorry. It's motherfucking on. (laughs) It's motherfucking on. Yeah. No, I mean, you got to keep with that uh, that authenticity. Well, you know, it it, it is. That is an interesting uh, point to make. Mm-hmm. That one of the reasons, one of the things I do when I, when I go to give a speech mm-hmm. is, you know, I say to people, look, you know, I'm going to try to talk in an authentic way. An authentic way is to say things like, yeah. fuck the walk. Yep. Fuck the walk is kind of one of, uh, yes. I have all of these little sayings because, mm-hmm. especially on Twitter, you know, if you can't say it in a hashtag, yeah. then it's probably not the right format mm-hmm. for you. So I tell people, look, you know, I, I, uh, the real strength I have is only in being um, able to engender in people the reaction Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, that's me. Yeah. And I can't talk like me if I can't talk like me. Mm-hmm. So uh, bring it the fuck on. Yeah. So along the lines of like mental health, coping skills, things that make us feel good about ourselves, um, one thing for me that helps me kind of feel, you know, a little... Uh, 
a little bit better sometimes is having a really good bra. And I know this may sound weird, but I've been using Les Mystere, their bras, and they are like amazing. Like I don't always like to wear bras, but every time I put on one of their bras, it instantly fits my bust line and I literally feel transformed. They are sold at all kinds of retailers like Bloomingdale's, Dillard, Saks, Lord & Taylor, where you can have one fitting with one of their brand ambassadors. Uh, but you can also schedule a Skype fitting with a certified bra fitter on their website at laymissier.com. They've had a celebrity following for more than 20 years and now I know why. Because you don't have to sacrifice sexy for fit. You can actually have both. And that's that's a real good pick-me-up, literally. Um, but so 50 of you guys can get free Les Mystere cosmetic bags with your purchase. So go to laymystere.com slash gift, add the bag to your cart, add your other purchases, and then use promo code TAYLOR to knock the price of the bag down to zero. That's L E. M-Y-S-T-E-R-E dot com slash gift and promo code Taylor. So I hope you guys enjoy this as much as I have. Again, don't always like to wear bras, but when I do, when I do, Lamestere really helps me feel great. So I just wanted to put that out there for you guys. But back to the show. I really loved last night you, you talked about fuck the walk and kind of this notion around when someone opens up and says that they're struggling with something that people will offer, oh, you know, well, let's let's go for a walk, you know? And I think one point that, you know, maybe is obvious, but a layer deep of that that wasn't said was you're essentially invalidating what that person is struggling with. You're essentially saying... No, you're at, this actually isn't an actual problem. This isn't an actual illness. Literally just a simple walk will cure this and you'll be fine. Right. So we're just going to brush it off. You've, you know, validating and invalidating is, is mm-hmm. a better word than I use. I usually use minimize. You yeah. just minimize my illness by thinking, you know what? A nice walk around the block is really mm-hmm. going to help you. And, yeah. you know, I, I, people draw the analogies. It's kind of in vogue now to compare mental illness to diabetes or cancer, right? Mm-hmm. Because diabetes and cancer can be quantified or can be measured or... Or can be shown on an x-ray yeah. or a biopsy. Yeah. But mental illness, um, you know, to this point, mm-hmm. you know, in mainstream, you can't prove it, right? I know that there's some PET scans where people mm-hmm. can say, hey, you can see something. But the truth is, you have to believe what I'm saying is true mm-hmm. when I tell you about yeah. what I'm struggling with. Yeah. And your tendency is always going to be, because I can't prove it, is to, is to minimize it. Mm-hmm. So we say things like, and, and, you know, when you're on the other side of the equation, they seem absurd. Mm-hmm. They seem, uh, you know, it's, it's really annoying to hear that. But, you know, um, you have to remember back to before you were mentally, had a mental mm-hmm. health challenge. Yeah. I said all the same things, right? I had, mm-hmm. a, I had someone in my community who had a nervous breakdown. This was before I got sick, mm-hmm. right? And I thought, what, a, what the hell is a nerve? I still don't actually know what a nervous breakdown mm-hmm. is. I, I don't know if, you, if there's actually a definition for it. But, you know, they said he couldn't get out of bed and he had to be hospitalized. And I remember thinking, oh, my mm-hmm. gosh, like, like, this guy's weak. You know, mm-hmm. like, how could you not get out of bed? Just get out of bed. Mm-hmm. Suck it up, buddy. Um, so I think all of us, um, like when those of us who struggle with mental health challenges beat up other people mm-hmm. for not understanding us, I think we've got to remember that once upon a time, that was us. And nobody instinctively seems to really understand, yeah. you know, this unseen, unproven problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think one thing that someone started asking you a question about last night was kind of how to help, you know, if it's not, okay, let's go for a walk, then, then how do you help? And even in the mental health panel uh, that I was on yesterday, you know, we, we talk a lot about as the person struggling, but then also being the person that wants to offer help and knowing that this isn't something that you're going to be able to fix in that person uh, is is hard to sit with, but I think it's important to sit with because then once you come to that realization, you can actually be very empathetic towards the person and just be present with them. And I think that's one of the biggest things is like just being someone that will listen and say, I'm going to sit here with you. I know this is uncomfortable mm-hmm. and I know this hurts, but like you're not alone and I'm going to be right here with you. You know, it's, and you can only do that 
by saying, I don't understand your mm -hmm. illness and yeah. I can't understand. The healthy brain cannot understand the concept in the case of mm -hmm. depression that no matter what someone does, they can't feel joy because, yeah. they, because you can't experience that. Because mm -hmm. we, even if you're going through a bad time in your life, if, you're, if you don't have this illness called depression, mm -hmm. then something that happens good for you can make you feel good, mm -hmm. right? So the idea that, I mean, the analogy that I use is always, you know, you got a cold and when you got a mm -hmm. cold, sometimes you can't taste the food. I don't know why my grammar got bad there all of a mm -hmm. sudden, but I just went into this when you it, got a cold you know hey well, yeah. it's authentic we're gonna keep it real sometimes that, that happens so you're saying <laughs> bad grammar is authentic for me is, is that what you're saying in the really? moment in yeah. the moment it is you know so you just you own it you go with it so you know you when you have a cold and you taste food mm -hmm. you can't taste it right mm -hmm. and to me, that's the best way to look at mental illness. Like, think mm -hmm. about it. Like, when, when you know, when you, when your own experience, when you go to eat a piece of pizza and you go, I can't taste this. Well, mm -hmm. I can't taste the joy in my life. Yeah. No matter how hard I try, no matter how long the walk is, mm -hmm. I can't taste it. Yeah. So, and I want to ask you a question. And before I ask it, I want it to be understood that, that his answer may not be what will work for you. It may not be what will work for the person you love or the person you're caring for. But I think it is important because... It, it, it could, it could. Um, so how did you like best receive help through your community and through your support system as you've struggled, you know, the last 18 years with depression and anxiety? You know, I, I, I think because I'm wired the way I'm wired, uh, because I never felt the sense of shame mm -hmm. that, that most people feel, I think that I was more ready to take on this challenge. Okay. Uh, and, and it wasn't something that I achieved. I didn't achieve this. Like, so, so it's not a success in my life where mm -hmm. I can say, hey, you know, I never really experienced the stigma. Mm -hmm. Just, you know, maybe my upbringing. I, I don't mm -hmm. know what it was. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I never hid it from people. And because I was always really open about it, it was always part part of the conversation. Hmm. And I, I really believe that the absolute fundamental key to us reducing the stigma, to reducing suicides, to reducing untreated mental illness is dialogue, is conversation. Mm -hmm. yeah. And you know, it doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter if you're a teacher. It doesn't matter mm -hmm. if, you, uh, if you play on a football team. It doesn't matter if you're at the dinner table with mm -hmm. your family. If you make mental illness part of the dialogue, then all yeah. of a sudden, to some extent, you disarm it. Mm -hmm. And you give people the better chance. Like, I, you know, I think all the time, like suicide, I, you know, we all think about it a lot now because we all hear about mm -hmm. it in ways yeah. that we never heard before. And one of the things that, you know, how, how do we reduce that? In, mm -hmm. in the United States, every year, there's 40,000 people that take their lives. In Canada, there's 4,000 that we know. And mm -hmm. then for every one suicide, um, there's 25 attempts. attempts yeah. So you're talking about 100,000 people in this country alone. A million people in the United States will try to take their lives. Mm -hmm. How do we reduce that number? And we've never reduced that number, right? Mm -hmm. It's always been basically steady. Mm -hmm. And I think the way to do it is to use the word. Mm -hmm. If you were 17 years old and you felt like you had suicidal thoughts and the word had never been used at your dinner table, how could you say yeah. to your parents? How could you say, you know, mom, dad, I have these thoughts of taking my life. You mm -hmm. know that you would devastate them by saying that. You know that um, you didn't have the ability to say it because you've never heard them talk about it. Mm -hmm. So I just think that uh, community, the best thing we can do is make it part of the dialogue. Yeah. It doesn't, you know, like, it doesn't yeah. have to be part of the dialogue every day. It's mm -hmm. not like I'm obsessed well, with this. Well, I think it's really the point, too, is using the language, like not being yeah. afraid to use the word suicide. So true. You know, if yeah. the first time you're going to use that word mm -hmm. is when you need to tell someone that you're, yeah. that you have thoughts of suicide, yeah. you're never going to say it. Yeah. So, you know, desensitize people mm -hmm. to it. You know, yeah. the more you hear something, the more you hear the word depression, the more you hear people talk about depression mm -hmm. and how it makes them feel, the more license you feel to be able to say, well, you know, hey, mom, dad, or, or to, to your spouse or to mm -hmm. anyone in your life, you know, I got to talk to you about something. Yeah. And I'm going to tell you this thing that, um, that I need to tell you because mm -hmm. I need you to help me in my life. Yeah. That's tough to do if no one's ever brought it up before. Yeah. And, and I want to go back a little bit. Uh, you said something that really sparked my, my curiosity here. Um, you said that, that you've never felt shame about it. Right. And, and I want to ask you, when, when we spoke on the phone, you had said that it's been about 18 years with this, but that for 10 years of it, you were in silence. I was in silence as a broadcaster. So uh, the platform, okay. I, I did a uh, daily talk show. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. And I never used the platform I had available to yeah. me to talk about it okay. because I thought people would just perceive me as a whiner. Like, mm -hmm. why, why would, you know, like, why is he complaining about this? Why yeah. is he telling us this? You know, mm -hmm. is he looking for our sympathy? Does he want us to like him? Mm -hmm. um, so I never talked about it, but people in my life knew about it. But it, mm. the, the reason why you and I are having this discussion today, because the reason why I'm here is because one day, just casually, I mentioned it when yeah. I was interviewing someone who had suffered. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't mentioning that that changed my life. It was the reaction. Mm -hmm. It was this incredible experience of finding out that the strength that I felt to share my problem mm -hmm other people could, could grab a hold to that strength. Mm -hmm. Because if you hear someone sharing with strength, then you go, well, I could say that. You know, he's mm -hmm. not ashamed. He's not embarrassing. He doesn't sound weak. Yeah. But if, I, if you share like, you know, ah, gosh, I have this problem with depression and I don't know why I'm like this. And, you know, mm -hmm. I, I should appreciate the good things in my life. And I know this is my fault. Well, that's not gonna, that's not gonna empower other people to share. Mm -hmm. But if you say, you know, screw it. This is me. This is what I have. I didn't choose this. This is not self-inflicted. Mm -hmm. This is something that ascended upon me. I can't will it away. I need to be treated mm -hmm. for it. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, that's such a, I think, I don't know. I think most people don't have the approach that you have of being able to just say, you know, yeah, this is it. I'm, I'm owning it. This is it. I'm not going to be scared right. to talk about it um, because there is such that negative association with it. Um, and and I'm, I'm curious what like your your family background looked like a little bit. Like was the dialogue used in your family and did it, that help? It, to... it was not used in my family okay. um, at all growing up. But that's not, I don't think, because, because it was buried under the surface. Mm -hmm. I think it was a different time. I think yeah. one of the reasons, to be honest with you, why I'm capable of doing this is because I, uh, I came from an incredibly loving home. Mm -hmm. where my, my parents loved everything I did, yeah. right? No matter what it was, even things like... I, I failed out of a university, University of Toronto. Mm -hmm. And I was giving a speech... Um, I don't know, this is probably 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. And my parents were in the audience, right? Mm -hmm. And I told this story about how I failed out of the University of Toronto. And my mom came up to me afterwards and said, you didn't fail out. I go, yeah, I did. I mean, very few people would say that if it didn't mm -hmm. actually happen. Yeah. She went, oh, no, you didn't fail out. I go, mom, I failed out. She didn't believe <laughs> yeah. me because like, she still... Fact, it happened. Yeah, hello. <laughs> no, I, perhaps I may have deceived them in the past by not yeah. telling them that. <laughs> but, but, you know, that really told me how I had mm -hmm. this unfailing, unflinching love from mm -hmm. my parents. And I think that that has empowered me yeah. in my life to, um, to be able to share things mm -hmm. and still maintain my own self-esteem, even though the illness yeah. robs us of our self-esteem. But, you yeah. know, I, I just, I brought up my mom. And one of the, th the things sometimes I say when I go up to speak is that if I can in some way show people the difference between sadness and depression, mm -hmm. then I will have made a big difference because mm -hmm. there is the perception yep. that depression is sadness. Yeah. And, you know, s some people who are sad are depressed and some people who are depressed are sad. Mm -hmm. But not everyone who has depression is sad. Yes. And the way I explain that is that my mom has Alzheimer's. Mm -hmm. uh, and that makes me really sad, mm -hmm. but it doesn't make me depressed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I love the things you say. I, I've been able to, it, you see, like in, in today's world, you got to shrink it down to something. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. like fuck the walk. And I, I, have, yeah. I have a million of those. Yeah. Proud of the shower. Yeah. Do you, would, would, does that, does that resonate with you? It will, especially tomorrow after when this conference. When you get to take a shower? <laughs> yeah. So what you would say is proud of a good shower. Yes. Proud of a good shower. But no, I, I, I do, um, I'll, I'll share a little bit, uh, about my story. Uh, post, I, I was on a reality TV show and, and it was, a rough experience the first time around and experienced a lot of depression, a lot of anxiety afterwards. Um, and there were many days where I would not shower. I would not get out of bed. Um, because you could, right? Yeah, you were gripped yeah, by some kind of crying lethargy. And, mm -hmm, yeah. And you don't, you know, you lose the, that sense of joy and the things that you would typically find joy in. You know, you isolate yourself. You, for me, I did experience a little bit of the uh, loneliness and the shame and the isolation. Um, so yeah, the, being able to like take a good shower, like an actual shower, right. like it's something to be proud of. And I think especially when you are struggling and when you're dealing with a lot, you really have to like celebrate the little things, like the little moments, like just the fact that you like maybe text one friend, you know, the fact that like, Maybe you step outside, you know, like 
right. appreciating those small things that you're doing for yourself. Right. And, and things that a, a healthy brain person would never, mm -hmm. would never appreciate yeah. and would never celebrate. Like no one who, who hasn't experienced this is ever going to say, you know, I'm really proud of myself. I, I took a shower this morning. Mm -hmm. That would be absurd. Yeah. But the bar for us, for those who mm -hmm. struggle, has to be lowered, lowered, lowered to the point yeah. where even one tiny step, like if help is 100 steps away mm -hmm. and you're only going to celebrate when you get to the 100th step, you're never going to make it. Yeah. But if you take that one tiny step and say, you know what? Yeah. I won today mm -hmm. because I chose to fight. Yeah. And even though that fight may have just been, you know, some tiny thing to other people, it's mm -hmm. massive to me. So I just want to take a quick break uh, to share with all of you something that I'm really excited about um, that I've been using, and it's called Poshmark, uh, that instead of buying things new, you can actually shop from millions of closets across America. Um, I have so many clothes that I have to go through when I get home, and I'm really looking forward to selling some of them on Poshmark. Shipping is super easy for both the seller and the buyer. There's really fast shipping. Um, if you see something that you want, you can make the seller an offer. They have have not only kids, but also women and men, um, all kinds of wonderful stuff and great brands. And for those of you who are listeners of Let's Talk About It, you can get $5 off your first purchase. Just enter the referral code Taylor when you sign up. That's referral code Taylor at Poshmark. So go on, go on and download the app and um, hopefully maybe you guys can see some of the stuff I'm going to sell on there. But um, just wanted to get that out there to share with all of you guys. Um, but back to the show. You remember what Neil Armstrong said when he stood on the moon for the first time? That's one small step for a man, one mm. giant leap for mankind. I was thinking about applying that to, to mental illness. That's one mm. small step for another man. That's one giant leap for our kind. Yeah. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. Would you say that's pretty fucking smart? Yeah. 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 Okay. Like, I, cut okay. Cam, you're a fucking genius. Yeah. You know, um, my parents told me that. <laughs> I <Yeah>. believe it. <laughs> you know, my, my mom. Yeah. Hey, who said that this was, uh, you know, a participatory thing? Yeah. Uh, my, my, my brother is a genius, right? Like, my brother's a, a kidney doctor, right? Okay. He's a nephrologist. He's head of olive transplantation in British Columbia. Mm -hmm. uh, but he suffered and, and self-medicated for years. Mm -hmm. But my, my parents would say for years, oh, you could have been a doctor. And I, No, I couldn't have been a doctor. No, Michael, you didn't want to be a doctor, but you could have been a doctor. And it's like, mm. mom. You have to understand, in your mind, I may be perfect, mm -hmm. but I'm not perfect. So yeah. I could not have been a doctor. Believe me. Yeah. And then I said, you know, my dad was a, an orthodontist, right? Mm. So then my dad said, well, you could have been a dentist. And I said, no, you have to keep lowering the bar here. Because yeah. you got medicine, then you got dental school, then you got chiropractic, and then, like, you keep going down yeah. and down and down. Mm -hmm. Like, what can I get into? Yeah. And, and eventually you end up at podiatry. Good one. I followed that one all the way down. All the way down. Um, no, you're, you're, what, your training is in psychology, right? Yeah, yeah. So that would be somewhere sort of in the middle, you yeah. know? Yeah, a little bit below dentist, but yeah, above yeah, yeah, chiropractor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I... Legitimacy <laughs> scale, yeah. yeah. And tough to get in scale, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I want to ask you, you, you talked about how mental health can impact your self-esteem. Um, and in the mental health panel yesterday, we spoke a lot about identity um, and how mental health plays a role in your identity. So I want to put that to you. You know, how has mental health, how, how, is it, how have your struggles with mental health, uh, you know, formed and, and shaped your identity? You know, I, I think that I have two identities. Yeah. One identity is the healthy me. Mm -hmm. One identity is the one that, um, because of his background, you know, believes in himself. And, mm -hmm. you know, I have, you, you wouldn't know me, but, you know, in doing what I've done, I have always been accused of being arrogant. Mm -hmm. um, and that's a, a misconception that likely is, is partly my fault mm -hmm. because, of, uh, because my approach to broadcasting is always to be, as, as it is right now, with a certain confidence. Mm -hmm. um, but... The other side of me mm -hmm. is the one that acts the same way, but has no belief in himself. So, it, yeah. it, and that is uh, one of the most powerful things that you can say as being an advocate for mental health sharing is mm -hmm. to look at a group of people and say, you know what? When I, when I was driving up here yesterday, I wasn't feeling that great. And mm -hmm. I thought to myself, how am I going to get on stage yeah. in front of these people, successful people? Mm -hmm. How can I possibly get up there? Because like, what do I really have to offer? Yeah. So I have two versions of me and mm -hmm. I'm sure that like, it's, it's not either black or white. There's, there's areas in between mm -hmm. on a, like, because I'm Absolutely. on medication, my worst day now is still probably better than my best day 
before I was on medication. Mm -hmm. And I, I, yeah. I, I'm not an advocate for medication. I'm an advocate mm -hmm. for doing anything that yeah. you can to get yeah. better. And I, and I want to echo, you know, that really like that, that inner talk that you had uh, on the way here as, as an example, um, because I think especially with the population of people here at Fireside that uh, being an entrepreneur that you have a lot of this pressure for perfectionism. And even for me coming and doing this this morning was like, had an amazing night last night with people and was up super late and you're not I mean, making excuses now, are you? No, no, okay. no. Okay, because you're doing great. <laughs> Being authentic. Um, but yeah, that, that sometimes you get you can get we, in your sorry, head. Can we get some more wooing oh, yeah. here? Woo. Yeah. A big woo. woo. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's really cheesy wooing, I got to tell you. <laughs> woo. That's token. Come on. <laughs> there was a guy last night, really, he had One guy, had yeah, I was sitting beside him for, for, yeah. uh, for Peter's amazing speech mm -hmm. and or performance, I guess, and uh, he was wooing in my ear. It became annoying. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I actually turned not to him and went, you know what? He's not that good, okay? Stop the wooing. He's good, but he's not that kind of woo-worthy. Yes. Um, yeah. So, so you have these, you're able to identify these two separate parts of your identity as healthy and sick. Right. And nobody else can identify that in me. Because we, we people who struggle with any kind of illness like this, mm -hmm. if, we have, if we are able to get out of bed and go about our lives, mm -hmm. we learn how to fake it. We learn how to wear the mask. Yeah. We learn how to show people. And this is what you do in television anyway. You don't show people yeah. what you're feeling. Mm -hmm. Like everybody, every performer in television, uh, like an, anyone you watch on CNN, you will watch Wolf Blitzer. Mm -hmm. And uh, although half the population calls him Wolf. I can't understand that. Seriously, Wolf. there's an L in his name, Wolf. Wolf. So Wolf Blitzer will show you exactly the same thing every day. Mm -hmm. But he doesn't feel the same way every day, right? Yeah. He's a human being. Some days yeah. are good, you know, some days are bad. Mm -hmm. he, he shows you not what he feels, but what he thinks you want to see in him. Yeah. And as, as people who struggle with mental illness, that's what we do. We perform mm -hmm. all the time. And it's incredibly exhausting to do that. Yeah. You can put the mask on 12 hours a day, but you mm -hmm. can't do it 24 hours a day. And you yeah. need some kind of safe zone. Mm -hmm. And if that safe zone isn't your, your home, you're really in trouble. If you mm -hmm. haven't shared with your spouse, I've got this problem. And if you feel like you have to act around your spouse and act at work, yeah. you know, you're heading for a really bad place. Yeah. And you started in broadcast before you had started yes. yeah. experiencing this? Yeah. yeah. So you already kind of had this experience of like having to be on, having yes. to put on a mask. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. So I, you know, I, I mm -hmm. like I said, anyone in broadcasting knows how to fake it. Mm-hmm. But it's a different kind of faking, right? Like you're faking, you're just showing people the average you. Mm -hmm. But then when you, when you have this problem with mental illness, now the difference between the fake you and the real you is massive. Mm -hmm. yeah. The gap is huge and mm -hmm. you get really good at, at yeah. pretending. I mean, the tragedy of it is, I mean, we all know people, you know, who've taken their lives. Mm -hmm. um, and most of us know people recently who've taken their lives. Yeah. And many of them, you hear after the fact, nobody knew. Mm -hmm. Nobody had any idea. In fact, people will say often, we thought he was like the happiest guy in the world. Yeah. Yeah. And that's because people with mental health struggles are professional fakers. Mm -hmm. So if you think the person you love is okay, you may not be right. Yeah. And how, how is um, you coming forward with all of this and, and really becoming a professional sharer and advocate for mental health uh, changed and impacted your dynamic at work with, within the system of, of broadcasting? Mm -hmm. Have you seen an influence there of, of the dialogue being more open and people using the language more? And you know, I have to, uh, I, I'm not sure that mm -hmm. I have. Okay. I, you know, I'd like to think that, you know, it's 2018 and we're way better than we were in 2008 when, yeah. when, uh, when I had my sort of last fall into the deep, dark hole. And mm -hmm. then in 2009, I started sharing like publicly. Yeah. I'd like to think that we've changed a lot, but I, I'm, I'm not sure we have. Like, I, I really feel like the stigma that, it, that exists mm -hmm. um, has, um, the stigma has, has, the effect of saying that word is really weakened because everybody mm -hmm. seems to talk about it. And now it's kind of like, we don't think about it. We just say, oh yeah, the stigma's a problem. But we mm -hmm. don't really think about whether we're part of the problem. Yeah. You know, I'm going to tell you, like one of the worst things that has happened to me since I did this, and I, I, I don't think I've ever shared this story because I had forgotten it or maybe I had buried it. Yeah. So in 2012, uh, I did a documentary mm -hmm. uh, on depression with three, three famous athletes. Mm -hmm. um, one of them was Daryl Strawberry. Um, one was the hockey player that sort of led me to opening up. And the other one was Clara Hughes 
Hughes, who um, people in Canada would know as uh, a person that won uh, multiple medals in the Winter and the Summer Olympics. Mm-hmm. And so these three people had all had struggles with depression. Mm-hmm. So we shot this documentary, and part of the documentary was me. Uh, it was called Depression, Sports, and Me. So, and the me was me. So here I am on the set of the show that I'm hosting, and we're shooting part of the documentary there sort of like from, from afar. So you can see the camera people. Mm-hmm. And the reason why that's significant is that my friend Mario was one of the camera people. Mm-hmm. And uh, two years after that, he took his life. Mm-hmm. And he never told me anything about this. Yeah. So imagine he's there when I'm talking yeah. about this illness, and he still didn't feel like... And I could tell always that, that he liked me, right? Mm-hmm. You know, like he would ask me questions about sports, and we were kind of work buddies. Yeah. He still didn't feel empowered enough to share with the guy who'd sort of borne his whole soul. Yeah. That's sad. Yeah. And that, 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 that really haunts me. You know, mm-hmm. I, I feel like I let him down, but I didn't. I mean, I, I yeah. didn't know. And you can't take responsibility for that. You can't. And and I think that's what a lot of, you know, A, when you hear things like this that happen to people that you know, and B, when you're you're close to someone that is struggling and you want to care for them, it's, it's, I think it's almost this natural ability to either invalidate it and push it down and minimize it because that makes me uncomfortable. That's a big bag of worms. I don't know what to do with that. Or it's, I really want to fix all of this. Like I'm going to take this on as my responsibility and I'm going to be there and we're going to, we're going to get through this. You know, one of the the biggest impediments in being a caregiver, a really effective Mm -hmm. one is wishful thinking. So we, when you love someone, you, you want to believe that they're yeah. not as sick as maybe they are. And you want to believe that yeah. you have some control. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that we say, um, you know, my daughter uh, has a serious eye condition. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I would always say to her is, you know, you seem like you're seeing a lot better. I would constantly say that mm. because I didn't want it to be as bad as it was. And mm-hmm. when, you, when, when you care about someone with mental illness, you want to believe that this is not a critical, perhaps uh, life-threatening condition. Mm-hmm. So you, st- you tend to minimize it because you want it to be less. That doesn't make you a bad person. And that just makes you um, someone who loves someone, but also yeah. someone that is trying to do the best without the, the, the real knowledge that it takes to make mm-hmm. a difference. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, was that a Was clap? that a near applause or you're putting the top on Is that on a something? semi-clap? Oh, shit. Now you've got to <laughs> applaud. Come on. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and last night you opened up about, uh, you know, the, the struggles that your daughter's had with her vision. Um, and I'm curious if you can touch a little bit on how, how you've then processed that along with your mental illness. Yeah. See, here, here's the, the problem. And every parent would understand this, yeah. that there's, there's no preparation for mm-hmm. having a sick kid. Yeah. Like nothing you do in your life prepares you for that. And there's a lot of things that you do get prepared for, mm-hmm. right? Like your career. I mean, the idea of in, most people, you know, they go to school for it, they train for it, they yeah. practice it. So they, they get better at it. But mm-hmm. no one teaches you anything about it. Like your parents and your in-laws always tell you, you should have kids. And then you yeah. have kids and your kid gets sick and it's like, where the fuck were you yeah. when, I, when you were telling me to have a kid that now I'm devastated mm-hmm. and I don't know how to cope with this. And I, mm-hmm. I've never learned to cope with it, to be honest with yeah. you. You know, I've, I've, I've still, like to this day, I'm as ill-equipped at coping with it as I was um, years ago. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and I was always uh, an anxiety sufferer when mm-hmm. I was a kid. Uh, never talked about it, but there were things that um, that used to really scare me that other kids um, weren't scared about. Hmm. So I, I, I came into this crisis in my life mm-hmm. um, more than ill-prepared for it. I was, um, you know, I was leaning in that direction, and then all of a sudden um, I became obsessed with something that I couldn't control. Like, I don't know, five years ago, six years hmm. ago, she developed uh, a, another problem called hypotony, which is low eye pressure. Nobody hmm. has low eye pressure. Like, yeah. I, you know, like glaucoma, glaucoma, you know, is, is pretty common, but hypotony isn't. So I, I became obsessed with researching treatments for it mm-hmm. to the point where I was subscribing to medical journals. And yeah. there's a, a, a lot of research has been done in China. So I had to get like translations from these, like that's obsessive. And yeah. my brother called me on the phone, my brother, the doctor and said, you know, you, you're, you're going to kill yourself doing mm-hmm. this, right? You know, you have to, you, you have to find a way to mm-hmm. push it to the side at least a little bit. Yeah. But I'm not very good at it. Yeah. I, you don't speak Chinese, do you? <laughs> nope. You okay, because if you do, I got, a, I got an article to translate. <laughs> I don't. Uh, maybe you can network someone here, perhaps. Um, well, going back to childhood, I can't not go there. Um, 
you said, you know, you, you recognize points of anxiety throughout childhood. Yes. Do you recognize depression from back then no. as well? No. Okay. I don't. I don't think, uh, as a matter of fact, I'm sure that I was never depressed mm. because I can remember this awakening I had when I was depressed, mm. that it was something that was totally foreign to me. It was mm. this experience. I think it's the opposite of people who, who say um, they got high for the first time and they thought it was like, oh my God, this is the greatest thing ever. Mm. This was the opposite of that. Yeah. This was, oh my God, this is the worst thing I've mm-hmm. ever experienced. I could never imagine that this could exist in my brain. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't think I'd gone through it. Uh, I just, I, I think that my anxiety and my propensity towards anxiety and then crises in my life um, mm-hmm. and my lack of ability um, to do what a lot of people are just naturally able to do, which is to find ways to cope, I couldn't. And that mm-hmm. let me down the uh, the depression route. Yeah. Well, well, and people, they do find ways to cope. Just unfortunately, sometimes it's uh, numbing with substances or avoidance of certain things. Um, and and having experienced some of that anxiety in childhood, um, when was it that you actually first like started entering therapy? And was that ever something that was like discussed in your in your circle? I, I, n- I never, like how? I, I never said the word anxiety uh, until hmm. um, until my son started to experience some anxiety. He had the same. Okay. This is so bizarre because I had this fear when I was young of throwing up. No, same. Uh, you know, there, I still have it. Okay. You, one Still other person, yeah. two yeah. other people, three, hold, yeah. one sec. Yeah. <clears throat> Sorry. <Stop. laughs> yeah. Because if you didn't react like that, then yeah. you didn't truly have it. I still have this, yeah. this ridiculous fear mm-hmm. of being on an airplane and the person beside me getting sick. No. I have this fear because be, to the point where, you know, they, they have those really lame magazines in, yeah. the, in the pocket and the person reaches to get the magazine. Yeah. I go, oh, my God, they're, they're the going to throw up. Oh, my yeah. God, what am I going to do? And then I go, yeah. oh, there's no other seats in this plane. Where yeah. am I going to go? Where, I'm going to the cockpit. Wait yeah. a sec. They don't let you in the cockpit anymore. Yeah. Oh, my God, where am I going to go? Yeah. So I don't go to movie theaters. <laughs> see, wow. no, this is not. It was that impactful. <laughs> you didn't have to. You didn't have to mention the fact that I just spilled my coffee because this is this is not visual, right? So, no. you know, you, you could have you could have you could have hid it from people. We we could have, but you know, that wouldn't have been authentic. Uh, that's a great point. Kind of very good at this. <laughs> no, seriously, like like you are oh, you, you have uh, you have a, a talent for listening. Thank you. And a talent for reacting to what you hear. So, thank uh, you. I'm enjoying this, this experience, and I feel like I found a, um, a sister along the road of, wait mm. for it, emetophobia. That yeah. is the fear of throwing up, the fear yeah. of being around people who mm-hmm. throw up, emetophobia. Yeah. So my son, you know, um, when he was, I don't know, four, said yeah. to me, called me into his room and mm-hmm. said, am I going to barf? And I said, oh, fuck. He was like, oh, my God. But he had never heard me make reference to it. So I don't think that it was environmental where he heard it from me. Mm -hmm. I think that somehow he had a genetic predisposition to being freaked out about people throwing up. And uh, I remember saying to him, we had this conversation, and I said, well, do you feel sick? He said, no. I said, well, why would you throw up? And he would say, well, how do I know that I won't? Mm -hmm. But I said, well, you don't feel... And we had this, like, circular argument that I could only... I I, I couldn't win the argument because it was irrational. But I could make him feel like, you know, I've been through this before Mm -hmm. and, you know, I get you. Yeah. And my wife had no clue how to how to deal with that because she never experienced it. Mm. You know, it was was, you know, for her and I'm not this this is not a criticism of her. Mm -hmm. She hadn't been through it. So her reaction was, well, you know, you're you're not sick. Why are you going to throw up? Yeah. But it was for me. It wasn't just that it was being around people who would Mm -hmm. throw up, too. So um, I was I was movie theaters freaked me out sitting in the middle of a movie theater. So like if I sat on the end of the row, I was okay. Um, and I threw up four years ago yeah. for the first time in 20 years. Yeah. It was like, I, you know, I, I felt like, I kind of felt like Lou Gehrig, you know, like I had this amazing Iron Man streak going yeah. and it ended and like, this is going to sound ridiculous, but I celebrated. I thought, yeah. oh my gosh, I did it. I did yeah. it. You know, it's not like I had a choice, yeah. but I felt this great sense of, yeah. I just faced my fears mm-hmm. and, uh, and dealt with it. Absolutely. So I'm, I'm a little bit less afraid now. A yeah. little bit less afraid. I'm still yeah. afraid of other people doing it, but mm-hmm. for myself, a little bit less. Yeah. I mean, I, I could echo so much of that, of my personal experience. And this may seem like, well, where is this conversation going? Now we're talking about fear of throwing up. Like, where the fuck what? is this coming from? But I think, again, these are important things that, like, we could very easily feel embarrassed about. We could feel very right. shameful for. Like, whenever people ask me, like, oftentimes, first dates, people are like, you want to go to a movie theater? And I'm like... 
Do well, I tell them? There's this thing about me you don't know because yeah. you don't know me yet, but you think you want to date me, not after this. Um, but <laughs> it's it's important, I think, to, to own that part of it. You know, own you, those fears. You and disarm own that. it. You disarm yeah. your fears to some extent by, mm-hmm. by, I mean, you disarm so many things by, by doing yeah. what we're doing now. Yeah. You know, like like this voice in your head, yeah. which I, I, I think a lot about the voice in my own head. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. you, you don't hear that voice now, do you? Because that'd be, wait a sec. Okay. Uh, I, I might have got it. I, I got believe it. that depression is when you hear, like schizophrenia is mm-hmm. when you hear other voices, mm-hmm. right? Depression to me is when you hear your own voice in mm-hmm. your own head. Yeah. And the problem with this voice in your head is that it knows everything about you, right? So yeah. it will tell you things to destroy you mm-hmm. that only someone in your head could know. And yeah. it will tell me different things than it will tell you. Mm-hmm. And the fact that it knows everything about us, it's like it's got the dossier. Yeah. Like the steel dossier. I'm now I'm going to American politics, which I'm somewhat obsessed with. The steel <laughs> dossier, my brain has my dossier on mm-hmm. me, and it knows how to expose me in the worst possible light. Yeah, and one of my favorite books, uh, The Untethered Soul. Don't know if anyone has read that or heard of it, but I highly recommend it. Um, In it, one of my most important takeaways is to remember that you are not your thoughts. You are the observer of your thoughts. It's a great way to look at it. Yeah. Was that yours or was that from the book? It's from the book. So so you like, shouldn't can have I make the... it mine? Because yeah, well, it's so yeah. good. <laughs> yeah, but you could have made it yours. You just can't mention the book. Right? So but it, just... it's such a great resource. Like I want, I, I got I to gotta share it with the community because I learned so much yeah. from it. Well, I failed out of school, so I know how to plagiarize. So, <laughs> you know, I'm pretty good yeah. with using other people's thoughts. Yeah. You know, E equals MC squared. I made that up. Yeah. Yeah. You did. That's, that's all you. Um, but yeah, I think making that distinction, and again, when we talk about like identity around mental health, um, having a little bit of that separation, I think, because that, that the the lack of the separation, I think, feeds into the shame. You know, there's a difference between shame versus What do you guilt. mean by separation? Explain. I, I, separation of like, you are not your thoughts. You are the observer of your thoughts. Um, because I think when, when you become your thoughts, that there not everything that your brain is telling you is true. And a lot of what your brain is telling you is out of fear because it's trying to naturally protect yourself. Um, and I think when, when we have that separation, we're then actually able to push through some of that fear. And that, that's all where the magic happens. Like that's all where, you know, we, we lean into the discomfort of things and that's where we get the connection. You know, like if, if you had sat in this embarrassment of having this fear of throw up, you would have never known that then I would have connected on that and been like, oh my God, yeah. no, me too. You know? You so were just saying that though, right? To make no, me feel I more comfortable. Like I you, swear, you I swear literally to God. still okay. I swear. So your movie theater scenario is kind of proof that you do because you you yeah. wouldn't you wouldn't know to think of that. No movie theater and even airplanes actually because when I was twelve I threw up on an airplane uh, and I remember the exact kind of airplane it was and I have never been on one since and every time I get on a plane I'm like is this the same kind of plane that I threw up on? Um, and the same kind of thoughts of like, I didn't throw up for about 10 years. And then as a young adult, which I kind of still am, um, you know, I was like, I don't know how to do this. And I had right. the same conversation that you basically had with your son in my head. So, um, so what's, what's bizarre is that here we are, there's, I mean, people can't see, but there's like 5,000 yeah. people around us. And <laughs> how, many, how many people here have suffered from this fear of throwing up? Oh my gosh. So there is, uh, I'm going to say that it's about 20% of the audience. Yeah. So 20% of 5,000, you know, is, is a thousand people yeah. who have experienced this same thing. But none of us who experienced this would have thought that there were other people yeah. in this group here that yeah. have experienced that. Mm-hmm. And that's the power of sharing, right? Yep. Because as, as soon as you hear somebody else understands you, you know, like I, it's, it's, I was saying this before, it, you, the, the loneliness of mental illness mm-hmm. comes, uh, because it's not about the number of people around us. Mm-hmm. It's the number of people that understand us. Yeah. And you can be around a thousand people and feel like you're all alone. Mm-hmm. Or you can be with one person. Like if you and I are sitting here mm-hmm. chatting and there was no one else here, I, I would feel a sense of comfort and mm-hmm. a sense of companionship just because yeah. I knew that someone understood me. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I want, I mean, this might seem a little bit silly, but I want you to kind of go through and talk through why you would feel like I understood you. Well, I, I think one, why I would feel that you understood me or why yeah. I would feel better about being understood. Why, how you would feel understood. Well, because you've, sh- you've shared 
mm-hmm. some of your own struggles. Okay. And what happens when you share your struggles, when people hear it, is you get the reaction that they may mm-hmm. never say out loud, but when you get the, wow, yeah, yeah, me too. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. uh, I mean, there's some things that are universal, but everybody mm-hmm. thinks that even though in mental illness, there's, there's two things that I know we all experience, mm-hmm. um, yet everyone who experiences them believes they're the only one. And that's what leads to the sense of loneliness. One of those things is the loss of the ability to experience joy. Mm-hmm. I've never heard anyone who had depression who, who said, no, 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 I was... Uh, because, I mean, if they said, yeah, I could still experience joy, then they weren't depressed. Mm-hmm. The, it's, it's that feeling of, it doesn't matter what happens, I can't feel it. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing is, um, when it comes to depression, is... I, I forgot what number two was. That's okay. I'm going to take a brief time out here and... and yeah. Um, the other thing that all of us experience when we experience depression is, uh, I don't remember what it was, so let's move on to the next. And then I'll yeah. blurt it out and go, oh my gosh, I just remembered it. Yeah, th- those are my favorite moments, actually. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I just remembered it. Yeah, yeah, those are my favorite moments. Um, and, and, I, and I asked like, how, you would, how you would feel understood, uh, because I think in, in that whole caretaking... Oh, I got it. I just, I just remembered it. Ah, there we go, there we go. It's the loss of self-esteem. Yeah. It's this, um, this horrible feeling that you have lost the positive voice in your head. Mm-hmm. You know, the voice that tells you, you can do this, right? Mm-hmm. Which allows us to do things that we've never done before. Yeah. The voice that allows us to, to become entrepreneurs, and mm-hmm. there's a lot of entrepreneurs around here, yeah. is the confidence that, hey, I can do something. Like, part of being an entrepreneur is doing something no one's ever done before. Mm-hmm. And unless you have a brain that's telling you that you can do that, you can't do it. So depression is the opposite. It tells you what you can't, you can't do anything. You're of no mm-hmm. good to anyone. And that loss of self-esteem is, is devastating, but is universal. Mm-hmm. Everybody feels it, who suffers from this kind of mental illness. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I want to ask, uh, since we're here at Fireside, a little bit of what, I mean, you, you spoke last night um, and you got here yesterday during the day. Um, I want to ask you if there have been any moments or conversations with people that you've had that have like led you to feel very connected or kind of a light bulb about someone else's story. Cause yeah. I've just, this whole conference has been amazing. And you know, uh, I would say only a dozen times today. Yeah. And it's, as we record this, it's 11 o'clock, right? Or something like that. Something. So even since, you know, since the time that I woke up and went for mm-hmm. breakfast, um, I've spoken to a dozen people who um, I felt connected with in a way mm-hmm. that could never happen yeah. if one of us hadn't opened up this, this dialogue. Mm-hmm. And even if it, not a dialogue that went back and forth between us, mm-hmm. but, you know, I'm speaking and you're listening and you hear the same things that you think in your head are coming from my mouth. And that connects uh, us in a way that um, you could never be connected to your doctor, for instance. Mm -hmm. I I spoke to a group of psychiatrists. I said, how many of you have suffered? There was like 75 of them. Mm -hmm. And I said, how many of you have suffered from depression? None of them put up their hands. So I said, you know, this is like, it's kind of embarrassing, really. I mean, like, like you're some, you can't get 75 people in, in, in our world today together yeah. and have none of them. And these people were, were a lot of them were older, right? Mm-hmm. So they'd lived their lives. So I said, so you guys embrace the stigma. You're still ashamed around your yeah. colleagues to talk yeah. about it. So none of you have experienced depression. So I can tell mm-hmm. you that even though you went to medical school mm-hmm. for all those years and then you, you became a specialist and you've been practicing, I understand more about depression than you do. Mm-hmm. I understand something you will never understand, which is how it feels. And you yeah. may say that you understand it, but you don't. Yeah. And that gives me a power to reach people in a way that you can't reach people. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can't prescribe drugs, obviously, yeah. even though I stole the prescription pad from my doctor once and I started prescribing <laughs> drugs. But other than that, I can understand people in a way that yeah. a professional can't. Yeah. And, and I, I love that you brought up that you spoke with these professionals because one of my biggest take people always ask me like what's your biggest takeaway like from the show and uh i did a talk with active minds which is a great uh organization and colleges yeah they're amazing um and gave the keynote and a lot of it was about how you know this stigma that we all talk about related to mental health is not just around the people that are struggling with mental health but that it's also around the people in the community working professionally, that there's this different standard that you're held to. And I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of those psychiatrists in that room felt this sense of shame and stigma that like, they're the professionals, they can't crack. They can't say that they have hurt or that they have experienced this because they're the ones that are going to help you. And if they share that weakness, uh, that 
So they're the, part of the stigma. Yeah. Because if you, the, you know, the stigma is all about feeling that mental illness is a weakness. Mm -hmm. And we don't yep. share things that make us feel weak or we yeah. feel like other people will see us as weak. Yeah. So, I mean, the key to breaking the stigma is not to convince people to share weakness. Mm -hmm. The key is to convince people that their sharing is not a weakness, that their yeah. illness is not a weakness. So, you know, these, the, I, I, I gave a speech once with a family doctor and he had a specific interest mm -hmm. in, uh, in psychiatry and, mm -hmm. and in, uh, in prescribing drugs, right? Mm -hmm. Because family doctors are often the only person that you get in to see. Mm -hmm. uh, especially, I don't know if it's the same way in, in your country, but in Canada, you, you often have to wait nine months to see a psychiatrist, mm -hmm. which yeah. is, you know, a, a so whole other... for 15 minutes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but that's a whole other story, right, mm -hmm. as to why yeah. that would be. But so this family doctor said the stigma is at its worst in a family doctor's office. At its worst. He said, I'm a family doctor and um, I, I pay a lot of attention to how my colleagues react. And the, the mm -hmm. biggest thing is that when you go to the doctor, and this is my own take on it, not his. Mm -hmm. But if, if, if you go in and you're breathing really deeply and he takes your blood yeah. pressure or she takes your blood pressure and goes, oh, man, you're, you, this blood pressure is really high. And then, mm -hmm. you know, do blood testing. Your cholesterol is through the roof mm -hmm. and your heart rate is like 120. You are going to be in to see a cardiologist, if not that day, the next day. Yeah. But if you go to your doctor and you say, you know, I'm, I'm really struggling. Mm -hmm. It's been a year since I started struggling and um, I'm no longer really living my life. I'm mm -hmm. just living to get through the day. Yeah. That too, your doctor is not a medical emergency and mm -hmm. you will be um, put on a waiting list for nine months. Yeah. And until that's seen as a medical emergency, maybe not in the same way that you're going to have going to cardiac arrest right away, mm -hmm. but certainly in a way that would indicate the severity of that, which mm -hmm. would be, okay, you know what? You need to see someone as soon as possible because, you know, they'll, if you said to your doctor, you know, I have suicidal thoughts, then that mm -hmm. would speed up the process. Yeah. But the only, suicide is not the only tragedy mm -hmm. of mental illness, right? Yeah. Putting your life on hold, mm -hmm. giving up your life to the illness for a month or a year or in some people's cases, 10 years, mm -hmm. that's a tragedy too, yeah. which is not appreciated. Yeah. yeah. Yay, mental illness. Woo! <laughs> yeah, I, and I think there's not only a lot of change, obviously, to be done just societally, which is a word I'm making up, um, around, you know, how we talk about mental health, but also, obviously, in the healthcare system and um, how we... How we actually provide treatment for that. And so I always invite guests to share um, if they have been in therapy, how they went about that process. Because a lot of people, I think, you know, you, you want to see a therapist and you think maybe I should do this, but you're not sure how to go about it. You're not sure what it's going to look like. And I always encourage people like the first person you see might not be the person, but that doesn't mean that, 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 that there won't be someone that will help. It's kind of like making friends, you know, like you might talk with one person and then kind of be like, oh, there wasn't really a vibe there, but that doesn't mean you're never going and talk to another person and make another friend in your life. So how, how did you go about finding your therapist? How did that work? I think that there's a unique relationship that you have with a therapist that you don't Absolutely. need with another medical person, right? Yeah. Like you can go to a surgeon and you can mm -hmm. think that surgeon is the biggest dick I've ever met in my life. Mm -hmm. Oh my God. Like it's like, he's not treating me. He's treating my knee. Yeah. It doesn't matter though, because mm -hmm. you are asking that person to fulfill a function. Yeah. Right, like someone fills out your accounting for, for the year. Mm -hmm. You don't have to be, you don't have to love that person. Yeah. You know, it can be cold and calculating. Yep. But when it comes to a therapist, you have to, you have to feel the possibility for yeah. a bond. Mm -hmm. But the problem is that for some people, it takes them huge amounts of energy to go to a therapist. Yeah. So then you go and you think, well, this wasn't a very good experience. It takes even more energy yep. to find another one. Yeah. So either you settle or you stop going. Yeah. And neither one of those is particularly yeah. good. Yeah, and don't be discouraged. Like, I would highly recommend, even if the first time it feels like, nah, that, okay, you know, I didn't really like that. Wasn't, that wasn't for me. Right. Give it another shot. So, so, but that's, that, that's true with your family doctor as well. So, mm -hmm. so what I do a lot is I convince people to go to their family doctor. Yeah. Because, like, I, I'm, I'm not a doctor. Yeah. Um, as we've already established, I couldn't get into medical school. <laughs> yep. I didn't want yep. to, by the way. Yeah. And my mom, if she could come down here and say would be, yep. oh, my gosh, she could have gotten into medical school, but he just yep. didn't want to. He wanted yeah. to be a broadcaster because yeah. everyone knows that's your first choice, right? Yeah. Yeah. So if you, if you go to your family doctor, um, you need to be able to feel comfortable enough to share. Mm -hmm. so, so I coach people, push them to yeah. get help. Right? And is That's, that what you did? You went to your family doctor? Uh, I did. And we had yeah. a, even though I, I, I love my family doctor. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, 
I like my family doctor a yeah. lot. I respect him. Very kind. <laughs> You're like, person. love's a strong word. Yeah, let me, let me tone word. it back. I loved my psychiatrist, but she yeah. was hot too. So, so there was, she was too. It was this yeah. bizarre scenario where I'm sitting there going, this is so weird. Oh my <laughs> gosh. And, and we got to be friends and actually I would go to spin class and she would mm -hmm. spin on the bike beside me. And I would, I would always introduce her to people. I would say, oh, this is Danielle Thomas. This yeah. is my psychiatrist. Mm -hmm. And she would say afterwards, don't, don't say that. And I would go, yeah. look, I can say that, right? Yeah. There's well, no, that's up to you. That's your no confidentiality. That doctor you're confi yeah. confidentiality. Mm -hmm. There's doctor patient. Mm -hmm. but it was like, I, you know, that, that's really weird that it's bothering yeah. you. But it did. I guess she wasn't used to it. Yeah. So, you know, when, when you go to your family doctor, as I instructed this guy named Joe, Joe mm -hmm. Switzer is his name. Mm -hmm. He reached out on Twitter to me three weeks ago. Mm -hmm. And he, mm -hmm. he said, you know, um, I, I had tweeted the first step towards getting help is the acknowledgement that you have an illness. Mm -hmm. And to do that, sometimes you have to really study what's gone on in your life yeah. and acknowledge the fact that you have changed. Yeah. And the second thing is that you need to decide that you are going to get help, as mm -hmm. tough as that is for you. Yeah. Whatever that means, you need to decide that. So he messaged on Twitter. He said, uh, I don't know what the first step is. I don't know mm -hmm. how to do the first step. Mm -hmm. So I said, message me on direct message. So we started chatting. This was three weeks ago. Mm -hmm. And he said, you know, I, I, I don't know if I'm depressed. Uh, but I think I am. So I asked him some questions like, you know, like, do you experience joy in your life? He says, I have a great life. I said, but that's not that's the same not the, thing yeah. as yeah. experiencing joy. Mm -hmm. He said, no, I can't ever remember being happy. I can remember acting like I'm happy, but I can't remember I'm happy. And I feel like if I tell people that I'm not happy, they will resent me for it. They will feel yeah. like somehow I have criticized them. Like yeah. that's, that's, that's the problem with sharing with, with your spouse, because mm -hmm. especially a suicidal thought. Yeah. If you say to your spouse, you know, or, or somebody important in your life, I have these thoughts of suicide, immediately they personalize that. Yeah. Well, yep. what did I do wrong? Or yep. why am I not enough on this planet to mm -hmm. keep you alive? Yeah. So I said to Joe, you've got to go get help. He said, I don't know what to say. I'm afraid if I go to the doctor, I will say um, mm -hmm. some of what I've experienced, but not all of it. And so we went through this whole process, which is you have to be 100% honest. Yeah. Because if you walk out of that doctor's office and you say, well, you know, he said I was okay and I should just go for more walks. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm going to say fuck to you, yeah, fuck the walk. But I'm going to say to you, did you share this one concept yeah. that no matter what you do in your life, no matter what mm -hmm. joyous things happen to you, you can't experience it. And if mm -hmm. the answer is no, how can you expect your doctor to know how to deal with you? Yeah. So, he, so he said, uh, I said, tomorrow you've got to make an appointment. Mm -hmm. So he made an appointment the next day. And this was on a Friday and he made an appointment for the next Monday. Mm -hmm. So over the weekend, we, we chatted in direct message. So, it, you know, it's like they're not lengthy chats. Yeah. And um, we talked about all the things that he had to do to get in there. And mm -hmm. I got a message on Monday morning and it said, I did it. And he got a prescription for medication, which, again, I'm not saying that that's the mm -hmm. be all and the end all. But this was, was a, a step for him. A step for mm -hmm. him. Uh, and w as soon as you do one thing, mm -hmm. as soon as you change one thing, you all of a sudden have some hope. So when he made that appointment, a hopeless life that he'd lived, where, where every day he knew mm -hmm. today is going to be bad because I've done it for 10 years now and every day has been bad, yeah. it's not going to get better today. As soon as he made that appointment, all of a sudden he had some hope that mm -hmm. tomorrow or Monday or two weeks from now, if the medication starts working, that he can get better. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for sharing Joe, Joe, Joe's story now you think, with us. Did, did he make up that name, Joe? <laughs> yeah, I'm like, And then oh. you went, well, wait a second. And the last name was Switzer, which is a Jewish name. So maybe when he makes up names, he always used Jewish, Jewish names. So um, you're going to have to the figure it out. The last name legitimized it for me. I was like, yeah. it's not, he's just yeah. not, not just Joe Schmo. Not Joe Schmo. specific Joe. Yes. Um, well, I want to, we, we have to kind of wrap up here, but I want to thank you so much for like, sharing being the professional sharer that you are because i know it it helps it makes a difference and and i i don't know about you but i know for me sometimes i'll i'll, I'll doubt that occasionally and uh then someone will come up and will say you know i really i really related to that i really connected to that so thank you and again kind of echoing the exercise that we did last night with the thank you not only thanking yourself but thanking someone else in your life like when you feel that appreciation for someone else be vulnerable, lean into it, share it, turn towards it. If you're thinking a happy, positive thought of like, I really am enjoying this conversation with you. Like, I really appreciate everything that, everything that you've shared with me. Open that up, you know, there's, there's no. Okay, then I really want to say to you, um, oh. what's Chris Harrison like? <laughs> <laughs> what I really want to say to you is that. Uh, Not I, a fan. I've, yeah, <laughs> I've, 
thoroughly enjoyed this. Of course, I never watched the show. I just did a little bit of yeah. research before coming here, and I knew that he was the host of the show. Yeah. He used to yeah. do sports, actually, I yes. think. Yeah. Yep, he did. Um, he but did. my point is that um, I feel that very often in these conversations, I am both the speaker and the listener yeah. because I am a patient, right? I am someone who struggles mm -hmm. and the, the sense of I feel like I'm understood mm -hmm. is as powerful for me as it may be for you by hearing me speak. And for understanding someone else. It's, it's, a, it's a back and forth. It's a, I feel understood and I feel I better understand you. And that's what leads, I think, to some really like meaningful, fulfilling connection, which we all thrive on um and desire and require um so yeah i, I just i want to thank you again for talking with me and, I, and i've loved our conversations um and i hope all of you here continue to have like amazing conversations all 5, throughout our last day people. oh my yeah, god yeah all five thousand of the people in this room <laughs> yeah actually three guys left really pissed me off too but um so now how dare they i know can you believe how it engaging they? humorous yeah. this is how has all so the personable. elements of a life-changing hour yeah um yeah my pleasure because you know you've given me a platform to do what i, I want to do with my life which is yeah. to share my own struggles to empower other people yeah. uh, i i we have a charity my daughter and mm -hmm. i called sick not yes. weak and sick yeah. not weak if you need to have it explained to you what that means then you probably haven't experienced it yeah and probably didn't listen to any of the actual part right. of this episode or conversation. Which would be really <laughs> weird for someone to download a podcast and go, you know, yeah. I'm not going to listen to this. Yeah, let me just skip all the way to the, right. to the last <laughs> bit. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. yeah, thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to my first live podcast at Fireside. Um, really appreciate your guys' support and love hearing from you guys on iTunes. If you want to head over there to leave a review and let me know what you're enjoying about the show. Let me know what you want to hear more of. Um, and you can also send emails to ask.letstalkaboutit at gmail.com with topic suggestions, questions you want answered on the show. Um, and you guys should definitely check out Michael as well. You can go to his website, Sick Not Week, and check out his charity um, and you can also donate to help um, you know push forward the movement with uh, the awareness around mental health so definitely check that out um, and thank you guys so much and I'll be back next week to talk about it more this podcast is brought to you by wave podcast network Check out all of our shows, including the Brain Candy Podcast, I Don't Get It, Babes and Babies, Coffee Convos, and Let's Talk About It. Surgeons keep our hearts beating. They do the amazing, help save lives, and so can you. Your CSL Plasma donation can help create 24 critical life-saving medicines that can give Grandpa the chance for his heart to swell when he meets his new grandson or give a bride the chance for her heart to skip a beat on her wedding day. Every plasma donation helps more than you know. Do the amazing. Help save lives. Donate today at your local CSL Plasma Center and be rewarded for your generosity.